starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more, or that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in, my, in the Father, sorry, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." We moved into uh, our house, I think, like eight or nine years ago. The, uh, the front yard was pretty much done, but there's landscaping that needed to happen in the backyard and in our side yards. And, and I, uh, I was actually kind of excited that, that I would get to create like what my yard was, was going to look like. Uh, so I bought all kinds of plants, um, but, but the plants that got me the most excited were the plants that were going to give me food I could eat. I was, I was really excited to grow all kinds of food. So I, I bought apple trees, which actually they've done pretty terribly. Uh, I bought a, a pear tree that this last year, I think, gave like about 120 pears. Uh, bought a plum tree, gave me like five plums this, this last year. Not too excited about that one. Um, uh, I've got raspberry plants all over the place. Um, I, I bought a lemon tree. Right? And it gave me 200 lemons in one harvest. It was a little, little thing. It was amazing. Little lemons, too. But uh, it was incredible. Bought a lime tree this last year. Uh, but probably my, my favorite, my, my babies, so to speak, are my blueberry bushes. I, uh, I love blueberries. And uh, we first bought the house. I'm walking through Costco. And there's a bunch of blueberry plants for sale. And they were pretty cheap. And, and they, were, they were tiny. I mean, they're really like just little sticks sticking out of the bag. If it didn't say blueberry on it, I would have had no idea. But I bought, I think I bought eight that first year. And I planted those things. And I watered them. I fertilized them. I read all about blueberries. And, and I didn't expect fruit the first even couple of years. But eventually some fruit came. Um, and then I'm walking through Costco, another, another beginning of spring. And man, they got blueberry plants again. And, but this time, they're, like, way more mature. And, and they're actually, like, flowers. Like, there's going to be blueberries on these this year. So I bought two more, and I planted those. And then another spring comes, and Costco, man, they're always, they know what I want. 
and, and I, I bought another two, blue, two blueberry plants. And eventually, I cut myself off at 12. I'm like, that's 12 disciples, 12 bushes. That's probably good. Um, but, but I love, I love my blueberry, my blueberry bushes. I, I set up a drip system for them. In, in the winter, I fertilize them. I, I prune them. I didn't know anything about pruning at all. So I, I YouTubed it and found some agriculture professor in like Maine that, that made all these videos on pruning blueberry bushes. And I've watched most of his videos. And uh, it, it, the whole goal is I, I want a ton of fruit. Right? Like, I, I want my blueberry plants to give me tons and tons of fruit. I put up the deer netting to protect them from the birds. I, I do everything that I can to get as much fruit as possible out of those bushes. Christians, we were made to produce fruit. Right? In verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In this little passage, Jesus says the word fruit eight different times. Matt preached last week uh, on the first half of this passage. And from verses 1 to 7, we know that, that as Christians, we were made to be fruitful. We know that, uh, that apart from Christ, we, we will not bear fruit. All, all Jesus' people are supposed to be fruit bearers. And, and God cares so much for us and for our fruitfulness that, that he prunes Right? It says he, he cuts away the, the dead branches to make more room for the fruit. And even the branches that are alive, he, he prunes those so they'll be more and more fruitful. And, and Jesus tells us, if, if you ask the Father, he will. He will make fruit. Ask in my name, and he will bring this fruit about. And then verse 8 tells us that, that when we bear fruit, that God is, is glorified, that our, our fruit is evidence that we belong to Christ as his disciples. It's amazing that whatever this fruit is, that it brings glory to the Father. That, that you and I, in our lives, we can produce fruit that is so significant that it actually glorifies God. And um, I haven't said this in a while, but John uses the word glory a lot in his gospel. And, and to put it simply, he, he means that um, glory means that it, it's making God known, or, or it's, it's showing God, it's helping, it's helping people to see who God is more clearly, so ultimately that they can believe in him. So this helps us understand in this passage, I think, what the fruit is. Right? Or does this fruit that we're looking at, does this make God known? Does this help someone see God more clearly? Does this help someone believe in God? Because there are all kinds of good things out there that, that people do, but do they actually glorify God? If not, those things are not what Jesus is talking about when he, when he talks about fruit in this passage. And, and it makes sense. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Because I see all kinds of people do all kinds of good things, that people that reject Jesus, and yet they do things that look pretty darn good by, by earthly standards. But if it isn't fruit that glorifies God, if it isn't fruit that makes God known, then it's not the fruit that Jesus is talking about. And, and of course, Apart from Christ, we couldn't make fruit that points to him. Anything outside of Jesus is against Jesus. Verse 8 ends saying about this fruit that, that it proves that we are his disciples. Our fruit is evidence that, that we are his. I, I don't know if you ever doubt that you are Jesus, that, that he is yours and you are his. 
if there's fruit in your life that proves that, then, then there's no need to doubt because you cannot produce that fruit apart from him. Our truth statement is this. Abide in Jesus' love by loving as he has loved you and because he chose you as his friend to bear fruit that lasts. So today we're focusing on abiding in Jesus' love, loving like he's loved, and producing fruit that, that will absolutely last. Last week Ma- Matt talked about um, <clears throat> the, the, first, the first half of this passage, and specifically in verses 4 through 7, he talked a lot about abiding in Jesus, about abiding in the vine. Jesus, we're to make our home in Jesus. He makes his home in us. There's, there's this union between us and Christ. And he gives this imagery of the vine and the branches, and it helps us see, I think it helps us understand how critical it is that that we remain in Christ, that, that our home is actually in Christ. You've never seen a branch detached from a tree or a vine and thought, that branch is doing well, right? That, that branch is clearly alive. Like, no. If a branch is, is detached from a vine or a tree, it's dead or, or it's, it's dying. Why would we ever expect that our Christian life could work any differently than that? It's so easy for us to try and live off a, a Sunday morning gathering or a morning prayer or, or maybe a worship song and then functionally disconnect from Jesus, the vine. And we go out and we spend ourselves, we exhaust ourselves and realize, man, I need Jesus. And, and then we, we come back as if Jesus is like a recharging station or something. This is not the Christian life. Jesus is not our recharging station. He, he's meant to be our home, the, the place we abide. We live in Jesus. And now verses 9 and 10 shift from uh, abiding in Jesus to abiding in his love. Verse 9 says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And it is incredible what he says here. Jesus tells the disciples that, that the Father, the way the Father loves the Son, right, his only Son, Jesus, that Jesus loves them that way, that, that he loves us that way. The, the love the Father has for the Son, his only Son, Jesus has that same love for us. I know we, we've all seen parents that, that aren't great at loving their children. Maybe even your own parents weren't great. But we've all also seen parents that, that are really good at loving their kids. And it's, it's so hard to describe how much, when you, when, you have, when you have a child, how much you love that child. Like I remember when my, when my firstborn came, well, each of my kids, when, when they're born and, and holding them and, and just marveling. Like it, how, how amazing it is that I'm holding my own flesh and blood. And if we're honest, I hope no one's offended by this, not every baby's cute, right? Okay? Your baby was, but not every baby was, okay? <laughs> so all my kids, I think they're cute. <laughs> and I'm not saying my kid's cute in yours, but you have your own kid, and they are so precious, they're, they're so beautiful. Like, I, I remember, like, when they're newborns, like, I love even just, just smelling them. And I'm like, maybe that sounds weird if you're not a parent. I don't know. Maybe it sounds weird if you are a parent. 
But I just, I love, like, there's something about how they smell, and their little cheeks are so cute, and I, I just kiss their cheeks and their forehead. I just love, oh, I love kissing my kids. I wish it wasn't weird to kiss my older kids, otherwise I still would, but um, uh, I, I love, it's just so great being a parent, and you, you, get, you get excited. Like, another kid could do something, and, eh, whatever. And they could do it better than your kid, and it doesn't mean as much. I mean, maybe you're excited for them, but, man, when your kid does it, the phone is out. You're videoing it, right? Like, I just went to this kindergarten Thanksgiving performance, which was really, I think, just like three songs. Like, it was this short little thing. Every parent is videoing. And none of us are watching the kids directly. We're watching the video of our kid because we're, we're excited to post that and to send it to grandparents and all that. But you just you get so excited for your kid. I, I, man, when your kid takes their first steps, oh, it is so joyous, right? The first time your kid, like, catches a ball and it wasn't an accident. Like, man, it's awesome. I remember uh, when, when, my, when my oldest first started playing basketball, six years old, gets in the game, and I'm just, I'm pumped. I'm so excited for my kid to be playing this sport. He gets in the game, and he, uh, he was standing. He's got the guy standing out of bounds. He was going to inbound the ball, right, just pass the ball in. And they're not even allowed to do backcourt defense yet, so there's no defender in the play, okay? My son has to pass the ball maybe four feet, right, to get it to this other player. So he's standing there. I'm pumped. He passes the ball, and I cheered. I cheered. My arms went up in the air. I'm like, what is wrong with me? He didn't score. He didn't get a rebound. He didn't get a steal. He didn't even deflect a pass. He just passed the ball to someone without a defender. But you, you, you can't contain the, the love and the, the excitement that you have for, for your kids. And, and yet, man, the love we have for our kids doesn't even compare to the father's love for the son. His love is perfect, not, not tainted by anything. He's, he's never done anything wrong in his love. His love never comes up short. It, it doesn't lack. So when Jesus says that he loves us the way the Father loves him, that should blow our minds. And we get to abide in this love. Right? This is where we get to set up our home, is in his love. He says, this, this is the place where I want you to choose to reside. Uh, I want you to be a homebody in, in my love. Just like the Father loves me, so I love you. And he's not saying at all that the Father doesn't love us. He's, just, he's using the Father's love for him to help us understand the depth of his love for us. So do you know how great Jesus' love is for us? Do, do you know, do you rest in the knowledge of how great Jesus' love is for you? Do you live there? No matter how bad it gets, he loves you. And there should be great security in knowing that Jesus loves you. I heard a pastor speaking to Christian artists, and he said something along the lines of, Christian artists should be the most bold, most daring artists in the world, ready to take any risk in their art, because no critic's opinion matters. Because they're totally secure in their father. The father is the only opinion that matters. So they should be able to do any kind of crazy, crazy thing in their artwork because even if it flops, even if it stinks, they know that their father loves him. And it should be no different for us. 
No matter what people think of you, if you are his child, you are loved. Nothing else should matter. How much bolder would we be in declaring the gospel if we lived in the love of Jesus, if we really abided in his love? When we don't feel secure in Jesus, it, it limits us because we put so much weight, so much stock in the opinion of others and what they think about us. But if we live secure in Jesus, how different would our lives be? I've told you several times about my, my youngest daughter, Maddie, and her sleeping issues. Um, she's had sleep troubles ever since we adopted her. Um, uh, so we're, we're coming up on three years later now. And uh, man, it is, it's just exhausting. She screams in the middle of the night. She, she, she wants you. She's just scared. She's scared. I, I don't know why she wakes up. Well, the wind last night was why she woke up, probably. Um, but I don't know why she wakes up, but I know it keeps her up. And, and it's that she, she doesn't feel secure. She, she, it's that whole abandonment thing. So she wants us so bad. So for a long time, my game plan uh, has been go in her room, try and comfort her, get her to sleep as soon as possible, leave her room, go to my bed that is so nice and warm and comfortable, and sleep in it, right? And that, sometimes that works. But a lot of times what happens is half an hour later, an hour later, two hours later, she wakes me up again, right? And sometimes it's like three, four, five times a night. Um, I've finally just given up in getting back to my bed. <laughs> like, we have another bed. It's this pink twin bed that sits in her room you know, just across the way. And now what I'll do is she screams at whatever hour in the morning, I grab my phone and my pillow, and I walk there, I put them down, I comfort her, and then I lay down in that bed. And you know what? She doesn't scream. She doesn't wake up three, four, five times, or if, or if she does wake up, she sees me there, and she's fine and goes back to sleep, and I sleep too. <laughs> it's a good thing. But my daughter, Maddie, rests secure in my presence. Like she rests secure in, in Lindsay's presence, knowing that, that she is loved by us. There is great security in Jesus' love, and I, I hope that you know the security that you have because Jesus loves you. So, so we're called to abide in Jesus' love. We're to abide as Christ's followers, and, 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 and I think that's a fruit right there, just even that God would help us to remain in his love is, is a fruit. But we're to abide in his love. And in verse 10, he tells us, by obeying. Right? That, that's, that's part of how we abide. That's part of how we abide. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, so we're, we're supposed to abide by obeying his commandments. And, and I know maybe that sounds to you like, oh, there's the catch. Right? I gotta, I've got to do what God says. But it makes sense, right, that, that we would do what he tells us. And, and what he tells us is good. Like, when I go to the doctor, I only go to the doctor when, when there's a problem. I know you should j just go for a checkup. I just don't do that. Um, I go to the doctor when there's an issue, and, and I want his help. And, and, and I trust my doctor. He's a great guy. Um, so he gives me instructions, and they're good for me. I've never once had him give me an instruction that's not good. Right? He, he's never said, hey, Greg, I think it's about time you smoke a pack a day. No. Right? He, he doesn't tell me, like, hey, let's see this. Let's make this cholesterol thing crazy. Like, no. He, he tells me 
my doctor tells me what's, what's good for me, right? And, and then I have a choice, obviously, like am I going to do what, what he says or not? But Jesus tells us what's good for us. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't burden us. 1 John 5, 2, and 3 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. What, what Jesus tells us to do isn't a burden. In verse 12, we'll see his commands are really, really good. So are you abiding in Jesus by doing what he commands? Because we show love for Jesus as we obey Jesus. And Jesus says, obey the Father like I have obeyed, right? He isn't asking us to do something different than he's already done. So being obedient to Jesus is a fruit that he produces. Because by nature, we're, we're rebels against God. Like We need Jesus to produce this fruit of obedience in us. It's not a fruit that naturally occurs in us. And when we obey his commands, the result is joy, as verse 11 tells us. He says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you see how good God is to us? He, he tells us to abide in him and in his love, right? That's where we're to set up our home. Then he explains that abiding is obeying his commands, which aren't good, burdensome, they're, they're good for us. And now he says the result will be that you'll have the joy of Jesus. And, and you'll have that brimming full. The joy of Jesus in you, think about how incredible that is. We all know someone who's just all the time, they just seem to be joyful. And, and no matter what's going on in life, there's, there's nothing that seems to override that, that joy that they have. And, and maybe you wish, like, man, I, oh, I just wish that I could have the joy that they have for a moment. Well, Christ tells us we can have his joy. And, and, and he says that, he's not saying that life will be easy. Right? Our, our next passage next week, he's talking to them about the persecution that they'll face. So he's talking to men that are about to, most of them will die for their faith, and yet he's promising them joy. He's, he's not promising easy circumstances. He's promising joy that, that cannot be taken from them. They will have joy. Is your life characterized by the joy of Christ? Are there areas of disobedience in your life that, that maybe are robbing you from joy? Because disobedience does lead to discontentment as a believer. D.A. Carson said this. He said, No one is more miserable than the Christian who for a time hedges in his obedience. He does not love sin enough to enjoy its pleasures, nor does he love, uh, nor does he love Christ enough to relish his holiness. Our, our disobedience robs us of our joy. There is joy in, in, in following Jesus, even when life is really, really hard. So certainly, that, that has to be a fruit that, that Jesus produces. We cannot produce that on our own. Verse 12, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And, and verse 12, really, he, he's summarizing the commandments down to this. He says, love one another as I have loved you. That is good. That's also a really, really extreme standard that, that we, we're supposed to love like Christ has loved. Well, why? Because this fruit is a direct reflection of Christ. Our love for one another reflects the love of Jesus. 
It's meant to show how loving God is. And it's because we abide in Jesus' love that it's even possible that we could love one another as Christ has loved us. So our love should glorify Jesus. It should glorify the Father by making him known. By the ways we serve each other, our concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ, how we deal with conflict together. And if you haven't experienced conflict in a church, you either haven't been a part of a church long enough or, or you've been a superficial part of a church. Because if you're a part of a church, if you're in community together, we will do stuff to each other. Sometimes on purpose, sometimes on accident, but we hurt one another. We, we offend one another. We wrong one another. And yet, there's great fruit displayed. God is greatly glorified when we figure out how to do this together, when we reconcile, when we forgive one another. How we love each other in spite of how we have wronged each other is a fruit that points to Jesus, the one who is despised, rejected, falsely accused, and yet willingly died in our place. So what Jesus commands us to do is really good. He commands us to love like him. Verse 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus set the standard for, for how to love one another. The disciples weren't going to get it. They weren't going to understand until after his death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit would remind them of this verse, what he fully meant here when he said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus' standard of loving like him is not convenient. It might even be painful at times, and it certainly will cost us at times. So, sometimes loving a brother or sister in Christ, not that hard. But there are other times where it will cost. It, you'll have to dig deep in order to do it. But how glorious that fruit is that points to Jesus. I, I often wonder, like people that don't have a church family, I just wonder how you make it in life. like it, Just on a practical level. Like, uh, I've never once... When I've had to move somewhere, I've never had a hard time finding people to help me move because I've always been a part of a church. Like I've just, I've let a handful of people know and, and suddenly I, I usually have more help than I need. As a parent, I've never struggled in, in, in finding someone that I could get advice from. You know, someone that's way further down the road with their kids. Through some of the darkest times in my adult life, I've always known there are people that are phone call away or someone I could text and say, hey, you got to pray for me because I'm just not doing well. The body of Christ is amazing. The love that we share for one another is incredible. We have some people in our church that are just getting older and unable to do as much. And I've seen so many so many people from our church that are fully able, able bodies, go and, and help. Go and do yard work. Go trim trees, whatever's needed in, in order to help these people. There's, uh, when we talked about the crazy winds last night, I remember a couple years ago, somebody in our church, tree fell down, knocked out uh, the, their fence that they shared with a neighbor, and uh, he called up, and I don't know, there were like three or four of us there chopping up this tree and hauling it off. And I, I just thought, man, how miserable that would be if it was just you and your neighbor doing it. But but man, there, there were people there to, to help. I, uh, I, was, uh, I was with two guys uh, in a church a couple years ago. One, one guy, his family's getting ready to go, uh, I think, to Disneyland or something like that. And, uh, and the other guy said, oh, uh, how are you getting to the airport? And the guy said, oh, I don't know. We're just going to drive our car, park there. And he's like, oh, that's stupid. That costs too much. And, 
And the guy goes, uh, what time do you want me to pick you up? He's like, oh, I have a big family. Like, no, don't worry about it. He's like, oh, I, I drive a minivan. It's cool. Right? He's just shutting down every response. He's like, well, we've got to go really early. Oh, that's great. I'll get to work earlier. Like, and finally, he's like, okay, you can take me to the airport. Fine. <laughs> I'll, let you, I'll let you help me. I mean, I, I've seen people, when somebody gets sick or surgery happens, and we just have people, people ready to make food for them. You know, ready to help out with meals. Many of us has, have sat in, in hospitals together, like anxiously waiting for news, praying for the best. Right? We, we've grieved together as people in our congregation have died, as a family member has died. We've had people, people in our congregation that someone helped them out with a bill anonymously, so they, they couldn't even be paid back. Like, it's been so amazing to be a part of, of this church, and, and I've been part of every church I've been a part of. Like, there's been God's love going back and forth producing this fruit that shows how incredible God is, how, how good God is. Verse 14, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. And it would be easy to read verse 14 or, or verse 10. It said, If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. It'd be easy to, to hear those and think, oh, my fruit is what earns my place, but that is not the gospel. Jesus has earned our place. There's nothing that you can do. It is only by grace that we are saved. There's no earning God's favor. Our obedience in, in verse 10, verse 14, our obedience is, is a response to the love that we get to abide in. So if you're reading your Bible to earn God's favor, it's not working. If you show up to, to Sunday service to earn God's favor, it's not working. We can't earn God's favor. You, you have a better chance of paying off the national debt than earning God's favor on your own. Right? And that's a, that's a ridiculous statement. We all know none of us could do that. We couldn't pull together and take care of that. You, you can't earn God's favor. It, it's only by grace. And Jesus already has the favor of God, and through him, we can as well. So our obedience, it proves or it characterizes that we are his disciples. It's, it's not how we earn it. It, it. it demonstrates that we are his disciples. When Jesus washed their feet back in chapter 13, he said this in verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When, when we do what he commands, which, which he summed up here, in loving one another, we show that we're his disciples. And he even goes beyond that. He, call, he, calls, us, he calls us friends. Right? He says, he, 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 tells, he tells them that they know the plans of the Father. He's told them everything. Moses and Abraham, called friends of God, they did not know the plans like Jesus' disciples did. And this is what he's, he said to us. He, he's, he's invited us into this union, and he's going to make fruit that shows how good God is. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Again, our fruit doesn't make us his disciple. Verse 16 tells us God makes us his disciple. He's chosen us and he's made us to bear fruit and this is fruit that's supposed to last. It will last. This whole gospel of John, it's all written so that we would believe. 
So, so as a Christian, that you would you'd continue to believe, that you'd grow in your belief. As a non-Christian, if you hear this gospel, the intent is for you to hear it and to begin to believe. To begin to believe that you need Jesus to save you from sin. So certainly a fruit that God wants to produce in us is other people coming to know him. Other people coming to confess Jesus as Lord. A fruit that he wants to produce in us is that Christians, we would, we would talk about Jesus that we would share Jesus, that we would have gospel conversations, not with just Christians, but with people that don't know Jesus yet. There's a statistic out there that 90% of people that claim to know Jesus in America never share their faith. Yeah, 90%. And, and I, statistics, how, like how did they come up with that? I don't know. I bet, though, that it's not crazy far off. And especially as our culture shifts more and more to be against Jesus, it's getting scarier and scarier. We have no chance at sharing Jesus if we are not abiding in Jesus. If we're not asking him, like he says here, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We have no chance at talking about Jesus if we're not praying to the Father that he would help us. This is not a fruit that's just for missionaries, pastors, even extrovert Christians. Like, this is a fruit that we are all to bear, that we are all to produce. And the good news is we don't do it on our own. Jesus says, ask the Father. Ask in my name. You need to pray. You might notice on a Sunday, we pray a lot. Like, we've had, I don't even know how many prayer times we've had today. We're not done praying either. Like, we're going to pray a lot today. It's because we need God. He's told us, like, talk to me, pray to me. Jesus twice in this passage says, ask in my name, and the Father will do it. One commentator said, the means of fruitfulness for which we have been chosen is to pray in Jesus' name. So Christians, are you praying for fruit? Are you praying that Jesus would help you to abide in him, that he'd help you to obey him? That he help you to love? Are you praying that you'd have the courage to tell people about Jesus? Or are we only praying for the stuff in our lives, the stuff that occupies our, our anxieties? We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would work in the hearts of people to come to know him. Start praying for specific people, whether it's a neighbor, coworker, a classmate, a family member. We need to start praying by name for people and he will help you. We're going to get into this next week. Uh, the Holy Spirit, who Jesus calls in, in the next passage, the helper, he will help. He doesn't take over. We still got to speak the words. We got to open our mouths. But he will help us. If we ask in Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit will help. Verse 17, Jesus says, These things I command you so that you will love one another. Are we letting Jesus produce long-lasting fruit? in us to his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we... God, I don't, I don't want to get to the end of my life and, and not have produced a ton of fruit, Lord. I, I don't want to come to you and, and just, just have a couple pieces of fruit, God. I don't want to get to the end of this year without a lot of fruit, Lord. 
God, we, we need you for that. I thank you that you haven't left us. You haven't abandoned us. Holy Spirit, you're in us, and you, you want to make fruit. God, would we be obedient to you, Lord? Would we listen to you, God? Would you change our desires, our, our, our tastes, God, so that we would long for the things that you long for, Lord, that we would long to bring you glory, that we would long to bring you fruit that lasts, Jesus. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.